Hi, everybody. It's Dr. Eric Quorum, founder of AIM7. Welcome back to The Blueprint, where we distill cutting-edge science, leadership, and life skills into simple tactics optimized for your busy lifestyle and goals. Today's episode is a unique and special episode. I am joined by Zach Evanesh, who is a renowned strength conditioning coach and the founder of the Underground Strength Gym and the host of the Strong Life podcast. And we're doing kind of like a dueling episode. He's interviewing me and I'm interviewing him, and this will air on both of our podcasts. So this episode is quite a bit longer than typical, but you are going to get a ton of value out of it. Today, we're talking about thriving under pressure. We're going to talk about the physical and mental toll that working in the NFL and college football had on my life. And Zach opens up about, you know, his experience as an entrepreneur. He also works in a high school. He's got a gym and a thriving online business. We're going to talk about how to push back on burnout. Zach and I also discussed the alarming decline in physical and mental fitness amongst teenagers and the troubling impacts of pervasive technology and easy access to pornography. Zach discusses how he's seeing this playing out with youth athletes training both in the high school setting and in his gym. And this is a transparent and upfront conversation. So if you have little ones around, you may want to listen to this at another time. So let's get right to it. Let's lean in and learn from the best. All right, guys. So a duo podcast with Dr. Eric Oram. Very exciting. Uh, The Blueprint podcast and the Strong Life podcast. We're going to be talking about health, well-being, things that I conversed with you a little bit before recording is that a buddy of mine, close friend of mine who was a fitness entrepreneur in the early days. Now he's kind of does behind the scenes marketing for companies. He said to me, and this was quite a while ago, a couple years ago, he's like, dude, I don't even think you know what it feels like to actually be truly healthy and normal. And that conversation came up because he had lost a bunch of weight. He adjusted his whole fitness regime. He kind of follows this like high intensity machine only trains once every two to three weeks. And exactly. He's using TRT. And so I'm kind of getting into all these things with him. He's like, you don't even know what it's like to have normal testosterone levels. You don't even know what it's like to be healthy. He's like, because you've been really burning the candle on both ends for so long. And so selfishly, this podcast is a little bit for me as well as for the, <laughs> for my listeners. And so you've been, you've worked in the NFL, you've worked in uh, the collegiate setting, you've uh, done consulting, I think for the government. So that's quite interesting because um, I've uh, helped prep guys to get into the FBI. And uh, hmm. uh, one of those guys reached out to me uh, a couple months ago, you know, t- was telling me about his work schedule and all that stuff, 80 hours a week. So let's get into this, Eric. You left that crazy world of uh, working for others. I'd like to hear what you think about, quote unquote, today's man. Are we healthy? Is my friend correct? Or, you know, do I not know what it's like to feel normal? Well, first of all, this is such a pleasure because I learned of you over 20 years ago, I think. (laughs) You're one of the first real online coaches. (laughs) And kudos to you for getting ahead of the the times. You know, I was in college and pro football for about 16 years. And now I'm an entrepreneur with a software company. And I don't think I've ever worked this much in my entire life as I do now, but it's different. Being in college athletics and then in the NFL was just a beatdown. 
I was a you know sports scientist and performance coach, and I'll never forget when I was at the Houston Texans. You know, my my doctoral work was in sleep and really understanding how our body and brain adapts to stress, and can we build the capacity for adapting to stress? So here I am. The team is interviewing me for a public radio interview, and they have a camera on about sleep. And I saw this video like a year later. And I look like the last person on the planet that should be talking about sleep. I had huge bags under my eyes. Work there, no joke. The Daily Planner, it said, all systems go 6 a.m., which means that everybody had to be in their office on the football side by five something. And then, you know, you're there till whenever, and then you're traveling. <laughs> and then, anyways, I was not healthy, even though I was eating correctly exercising. I don't think I can look back and honestly say that I was in a state of of good health. Now, being an entrepreneur, I can say I'm in a much better state of health, even though the pressure is even greater. There's, I don't know where my paycheck's coming from. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's no guarantee on I know anything. that life. <laughs> yeah, you've been doing it forever. <laughs> but I do think that there's a way to be healthy and thrive under pressure. And it wasn't until I had to figure out a way to do it. Zach, I think you'll understand, you'll appreciate this, you know, stress, you know, you can't be tough to everything. People are like, Oh, you're mentally tough. You can't be tough to everything. It's impossible. You can over time inoculate yourself to that new stress and be tough to it. So for instance, I'd never been an entrepreneur We had what's called a minimal viable software product. It's like the worst version of the final solution. You're testing it. I'm used to football. Ball kicks off. It's game day. You have a plan. You go execute it. If it doesn't work, you know, you the first day we deploy it, the pipes break on the um the engineering pipes break (laughs) on the text messaging component. I'm in a full-blown panic. And I go out for a walk and I literally thought I was gonna die. My chest is collapsing in on me. I'm having a panic attack. I go home and lay down. I tell my wife this. I don't think I've ever told this story publicly. I'm like, this thing's going to kill me. She's like, no, it's not. (laughs) You're going to figure it out. Our software engineer is like, Eric, you're going to have to develop thick skin for this. Essentially, what was happening is I had not been inoculated to the stress of this role. And I needed to have coping mechanisms. Once I learned how to handle that stress how to adapt to it, I was able to thrive. I understand what you're saying. I do think there is a way, though, once you understand the requirements and how the game is played, that you have the answers to the test, in a sense. And so you can craft a scenario to help you thrive. And when I say you, I'm I'm talking to our audience here. I, I hope this isn't like indicative of something for you, Zach, but... I do think that if you willingly put yourself in a continued position where it's sacrificing your health, then something's got to change. You know what's interesting? Like if I broke that down, when I am speaking with athletes or even adults, the way I explain it is emotional stress Mm. will destroy you than your toughest training session. Mm. Meaning you want to go do like the Murph workout or 20 rep squats Even though it's exhausting, you feel this like exhilaration, but emotional stress, 
like can break your body down. And, and uh, if I'm right here, what you were saying, Eric, is you got to get better at handling that. You said, you know, building up like coping mechanisms. It's like developing a muscle. And uh, I think the best entrepreneurs, they move on. They let it go within seconds. And also athletes have to do that. You know, you were in the NFL. If a play goes bad in 30 seconds, the next play is up. You have to forget about what went wrong. For me, and that kind of the message that my buddy said is like, hey, you don't know what it's like to feel healthy. I work a lot because I've always kind of had a coaching or teaching position combined with the uh, private business, even if it's online and or brick and mortar. So if I'm shutting down my day at like 5, 6 p.m., that is almost like a shock to my system. I have to go out, take a 45-minute walk with my wife. I have to calm down. I have to do healthy, appropriate things. And, Zach, do you uh, feel I, like you're you're pretty wired? Like you naturally f- like have this bent towards work? Most of the time, I can certainly use downtime. Uh, last, let's see, it's mid-August. Two weeks ago, we take our annual vacation to uh, upstate New York. Hmm. And it was, for me, I got there late coming from my daughter's tennis tournament. So I got there a day late. And then I left halfway through for my son's baseball. So hmm. I didn't have downtime. And when I was there, I was on a boat all day as like the captain. So there's no like, (laughs) hey, I'm just chilling out. Give, you know, give me a drink and I could kick back. And I was like, man, I say this, you know, and I'm very open with the ups and downs I go through, Eric. I like to share them. Mm -hmm. So people realize the human aspect here is like, if I stopped working right now at age 47, I'm good. Like, I feel like I've worked enough that I could just stop working and have just kind of freedom, kind of what you're saying. As an entrepreneur, we're quote unquote working more hours, but we have more freedom, more flexibility. When you work for somebody else, you're on a lockdown. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you mentioned the NFL. I'm not sure if you were at with the uh, Texans when my buddy Fitz was there. Were you there with Craig? Yeah, I know Fitz. He's a great guy. That's my bro. So listen, I know Fitz puts in crazy hours. Right now, him and I can text message only because uh, rookie camp is going on and he's putting in crazy hours. So I told him, I was like, Fitz, I'll uh, talk to you in January. You know, it's like a little (laughs) bit of a joke, but it's not a joke. I don't want that life. I don't think that life is good for people, but everybody kind of does their own thing. And uh, I don't think I will um, say one thing about the NFL though. Yeah. Let me just tell you this. There were seasons of extreme work. Then there was extreme seasons of extreme rest. Like, yes, they give you like four to six weeks off in the summer. I'll never forget this. The first time that happened, I had never happened in my life. And I just like completely shut down. I come back to work. I didn't remember the password to my computer. And it was like a total mind meld. And so there is like some people love that kind of dichotomy of like, I'm going to just go to the wall. And if you have a really good organization, they balance that in the off season with like, all right, everybody's taking a five day weekend. All right. Everybody gets this week off. All right. Five, six weeks in the summer. Smart. But the season is college football now. I wouldn't want to have anything to do with it. 
Yeah. They don't get time off at all. Especially the strength coach. They have that little break, then they're back to it. And so, you know, I do consulting in that strength and conditioning mm-hmm. field. And I tell coaches, even if you're in the college sector, you must learn business skills mm. because the only guarantee in strength and conditioning is there are no guarantees. I've seen too many people <laughs> cut loose. I've seen people who are hired, moved, and then literally a week before they're going to start, they decide they're going with somebody else. And now you've uprooted you and your fiance. And you know, to me, that's not healthy. And I also say as a dad, how much money can you pay me to miss on the regular, my son's baseball and basketball, my daughter's tennis. The true answer is, listen, I've never been paid a million dollars, but that you don't get those times back. You know, my kids are already in high school. So some of the people listening are not entrepreneurs and not coaches, but what's interesting about places of work, Eric, is now there's no hard end time meaning mm. uh, i think you and i i'm 47 so i'm not sure how old you i'm almost are, 43 okay so i got about five years on you but i'm pretty <laughs> sure our parents i know my dad when he came home from work it just was over he didn't pay there was nobody calling him about a project none of that he went to work and came home and then it was over and then it was dinner and it was outside mm. and so now that work never ends you have your PhD. You studied sleep. What What was your uh, PhD degree in? It was exercise science, but the real idea was, and I had a colleague that his doctoral work was in something very similar, but the underlying tenet was, how do we build the capacity to adapt to stress, more stress with less cost? Because as you know, great athletes over time, the workout that crush them as a freshman is like a warm-up to them as a senior. Correct. That's physical capacity. But like you probably have a tremendous mental capacity now for the type of work that you do. But if you mm-hmm. were to put yourself under that same load 20-something years ago, you'd have been like, I'm going to collapse. 20 years ago when I started, I guess, being younger, and it's interesting, I got into strength and conditioning later, not like much of the kind of anybody – I think in their 30s, maybe your age, they did undergrad exercise science. We didn't have those options. So I worked like crazy. So my wife is a nurse. When we got engaged and she got her first nursing job, she took the night shift, which was a 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. So any night she worked, I would get on that computer and blog posts and videos and I would write. Now when I get home, in the evening, if I coach in the evening and I'm coaching at my private facility, much less, my creativity is dramatically less. My creativity is at its peak in the morning through the very early afternoon. I don't have, once that evening comes, I'm pretty much crushed. So my, uh, ability to do thank long, goodness for chat GPT, right? <laughs> I've used chat GPT, but I don't cut and paste it. I let it kind of feed me stuff to help with some of the creativity. That's Um, how you should use it. A good, a good assistant, right? Correct. Yep. And I don't use it that often, but what I'm learning is there's nothing wrong with leveraging technology if it's going to help you in a 
positive way. But I think my negative is kind of, you said I have kind of that mental grit. Mm -hmm. That to me could be a downfall, this wrestling mentality of like, I will go and like, if you want me to stop you, I say this like a little bit as a joke. I'm like, you have to kill me. Like if you want <laughs> I me, knew that's what you were going right, to say. It's, and it's actually not a healthy um, attitude. So I look at kind of trends. You know, I, I got my master's degree in health. I didn't plan on being a strength coach. So I was looking in health education. So I look at trends. So from what I've noticed, and this is going to be interesting with you because you have a software company. Me working with um, teenage athletes and collegiate athletes, they're weaker than ever before. And my trend that I pick up on is the phone. When the iPhone gave you access to the internet and all these apps, mm. I started getting athletes in high school who could not do a push-up. Not can you do 10 push-ups that they can't do one push-up. So right now, you know, mid-August, I've been training the incoming freshmen, the freshman football team, for eight weeks. When they started, I'm going to say 70% could not do one push-up. Maybe 60% can't do one push-up. Maybe I'm wrong, but that was not an issue before 2010 or before 08. So you being a, a software guy, software for kind of boosting one's understanding of where they're at. I feel the easy access to the phone and even information. It's crazy, right? We have all this information. People are eating worse and all this stuff. So uh, it's, it's like uh, knowledge and, without wisdom, right? Yep. That would be the way that would be what we put on the jumbotron in <laughs> Times Square. <laughs> are you, are you just absorbing knowledge without wisdom? So I kind of try to pick up on these trends so I feel like now the, the other trend is work never ends, right? Mm. In the 80s and 90s or before a cell phone became popular, the workday could end. And I got to admit, like I'll text my colleagues on the weekend or I'll text people working at my school. Hey, I need this squat rack secured. You know, I'm, I'm texting. They won't message me back till Monday and good for them. But in yeah. my mind, I'm like, What's who doesn't respond within five minutes? Let's go. <laughs> but that's the expectation. So I would like to hear what you feel technology is kind of doing to uh, all age levels of our, you know, generation and how you're using technology for the advantage. You know, I actually fear using a technology that would say, here's how you slept yesterday, Zach, or last night. So today you shouldn't go hard because I would be mm -hmm. against that. I'd be, I'd be like, F you, <laughs> F this, this technology. I'm, I'm going to do, I have to do the exercise. Wow. This is a loaded question and loaded. I, I really like it. Let's start with the first part. What are some of the downfalls of this technology? Kids are not moving as much. They're not outside playing as often. They, our social muscles have been weakened to the point where we don't know how to communicate. That's huge. Pornography is just killing our kids. Uh, young men don't want to get married. They don't want to. They don't want to have. They have a hard time engaging with women. Eric, I, I'm, I hate to cut you off, but yeah, for people to like grasp this, you know, I work in a high school, full time strength coach. I never knew kids went to the prom alone. Girls 
were going to the prom in droves alone. And so one of the coaches said, I'll tell you why. Right here. He's like, they're so busy looking at their phone and they don't know how to just communicate. When I was in high school, nobody went. I don't recall anybody saying any girls going alone. I'm talking lots of girls going alone. And I said to the boys, hey, you didn't know so-and-so went alone? No, I didn't know. You're looking at, it's like all the social apps and the pornography and the inability to just talk. I'm sorry to cut you off, but I wanted to give some context so people have some, like they feel the weight of this. No, that's interesting. I, you know, I'm, I'm trying to think back in the nineties, like even at prom, like guys and girls that were, maybe they weren't boyfriend, girlfriend, they would just go together, right? Like, Hey, we're going to go to prom together because we don't want to go alone. Right. And then they go with a group, man, that's so sad. And then the way that we find enjoyment and satisfaction because people talk about dopamine, right? Dopamine hits from their social media or whatever. Dopamine is really the molecule of motivation. It literally physically keeps you moving forward. Like when you and I would do something really, really hard, like you're, you're about to deploy a product or you're working with a team towards a goal. There are benchmarks along the way, right? Man, we got out of training camp. All right. Everybody feels... These little mini micro rewards of putting in effort and working hard and then going, man, we did a good job, guys, and then going to the next thing. That keeps your dopamine levels elevated so you can consistently pursue long-term goals. With something like pornography, like it's an instant hit. Like it's an, There is no pursuit. There is no – it's easy and it's not real. Yeah. And so what happens over time is dopamine gets drained to the point where people lose motivation in everything. It is a neurological toxin. And we're letting our kids have access to it. Well, I mean, adults. I mean, it's people are just hooked like never before. And it is something that scares the crap out of me when it comes to my kids. And we do everything we can to protect them. And then we have very frank discussions about things at an age-appropriate level, right? Because they're going to get exposed at some point. I think it's by the average, I think by the age of nine or 10, the average child has been exposed to the first pornographic image. Because they're so, getting phones earlier right. and earlier. We used to- And the parents are just giving it to them as like <clears throat> a pacifier. It's sick. And so, you know, the second part about this, okay, that's the danger, right? Okay. <laughs> I'll go back to some research we did at the University of Kentucky with SEC football players. Dr. Chris Morris, who's on our team here at AIM7, that's my company, he developed, we'll just call it fluid and flexible modeling. And what we did was, is we had an, a typical summer off-season program, and about half the team opted into this, this thing I'm about to describe. And what we did was we assessed their, what we call state of readiness, their central nervous system, their brain how ready it was to adapt to stress and their autonomic nervous system through heart rate variability. So it's two systems. And then we adjusted their training daily based off of how ready they were to adapt to stress. And we would either dial down the, the volume. Some days we would push them harder. The players that use this fluid and flexible model over eight weeks had anywhere between 54 to 592% more improvement than their counterparts doing the exact same program on the same rack. So it was a static program. One team was, it was adjusted or one group was adjusted versus the other. This wasn't 
just walk-ons or this doesn't just starters. It was anybody who wanted to opt in. Well, what was the uh, software you guys, so you were We tracking- developed this system. So we oh, were using at the time, it's not the, the time we were using Omega Wave, but it's just okay. data. It's yeah. just data. You have to know how to use it. And yep. so we came up with a way to use it. And here's the kicker. The guys that got better did 10% less work than the other guys. And I'm not talking small amounts of, of improvement. So we have, this is almost a decade ago now, we've gone on to improve this system. And so now that's all baked into our app called AIM7. So we don't write, like we sit underneath your program, kind of adjust it. So here's the thing. What you're talking about where the, the technology says I suck today. So screw you, right? First of all, that's a valid point. So like the Aura Ring or the Whoop, it doesn't know how you feel. What do you mean? Feel emotionally or feel? Feel like emotionally, how you slept last. There's research now that shows that your well-being. So like if you, I just, I just tweeted it this morning. I'll, I'll read you the tweet that I put out. I mean, I can, we can put a link in the show notes to the, to the paper. It says new study, your own perception of sleep quality matters more than what your tracker says. If you feel good about your rest, your mood and satisfaction tends to be better the next day, even if your stats were poor. How many people did they interview to come up with that? Oh, this was a really cool study. I'll, 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 I think it was uh I think it was 500 people. I'll have to That's a sizable number, right? Sometimes these research these studies are done on 26 people. Interesting that you know you spoke uh, Sorry, about- 109 yeah. university students. But here's the thing. Okay. We've been doing this Over for a 100. long period of time. Research indicates that your perception of your well-being, your sleep, your mood, your energy, your soreness, your motivation, different things is a leading indicator for what's happening. The objective data off your wearable, your resting heart rate from the night before, that's a lagging indicator. And so we used to, when I was in in football, we're like, I wonder if these guys are sore. Let's take creatine kinase, a blood sample. I wonder if they're stressed. Let's take cortisol. Then we found out if you just ask them and you do the right math on it to know if it's sensitive, yeah. But like, it's impossible for a coach to talk to a hundred people as they're walking in. I know coaches like, I'll watch the room. That's great. Yep, that's a, that's a really low tech way of doing it. <clears throat> what we've done is, is create algorithms that combine the wearable input with how you feel. And we weight it in such a way that there is no longer this friction. If your body, let's say like there are certain times you need to push through or need to push hard, but there is a cost to that. Yes, especially if it's done at the wrong time. Like if we're near playoffs, you know, I look at it like we have that deep off season when there's no competition going on. All right, we have a lot more flexibility at that time when we're in season and maybe I have to get this work done with you before we have maybe challenging games, challenging competition coming up. I could kind of ebb and flow those things, art of coaching. And then I look at this, you know, you mentioned, you know, the whole perception of things. I started thinking about what about people's environment? So when you look at 
I don't know if you look at this, Eric, but you know how your Instagram shows you like in your search what you're, so for me, it's always like wrestling and Dobermans, you know? So um, I look at the wrestlers from like Dagestan and the different states in old, you know, Russia. And it's like, okay, these guys are running hills, this and that. There's nobody got a polar heart rate mod. There's zero technology on those guys and they're still the best in the world with the least of the technology. But I think their coaches are more in tune and their also their perception is working hard gets you to feel better. Whereas I would also I think- say this too, though, Zach, and I've been to some of those institutes, all the other stressors that suck your tank dry. Well, those are eliminated from their life. They're in a controlled environment. Yeah, this is what boom. you eat. This is when you're here. You um, sleep all the time. You're going to do nap. this. You're going to get so, a nap. We're so massage. it's different. You and I have got like family and overhead. And I so- think Americans, especially athletes and even adult men, adult women, I believe we're all operating at a deficit. Because of the phone, because of the foods we choose. Somebody said, hey, listen, I eat the same food you Americans do. I'm in Italy. I don't get fat from that food. So they're eating pasta and fish and beef, and so do we. And maybe they're saying, hey, I eat a lot of it. But they're saying it's like just what's happening in America with what's in it. Even I think, um, you know, we're doing kind of like education right here, right? Mm-hmm. I posted uh, something on my Instagram. I look at your Instagram. There's not a whole lot of like likes and this and that. I'm getting like 45 likes to a video that's on like educating people. But then I post like a stupid movie clip and there's 10,000 likes. <laughs> and uh, Matt Wenning said, he goes, maybe I'm, I'm misquoting him, but he said, in America, the algorithm favors humor and comedy. And he said, maybe it was China, the algorithm favors education. So like if a Chinese kid is looking on Instagram, his Instagram videos are somebody doing science or math, whereas what we come across is like an entertainment type thing in America. So it's I'm looking at your feed right now. I see exactly what you're saying. So I posted a video, for example, yesterday on how I implement dynamic effort speed training as a 47-year-old man and why it's different for how I do so with athletes. 45 likes, you know, 24 hours later. Then I posted a dumb movie clip, really dumb. With Latimer? There's Yeah, there's thousands upon thousands of likes and there's got to be 40 to 50 comments. And so in America, it's like it's got to be some shock and awe. If I if I was ripped and 250 and squatting and benching all these heavyweights, I'd have a lot more likes and views. So it's interesting that like I'm trying to teach somebody something and it's like, no, thanks. So it's like the, you know, I've been, I've been wrestling with this too. And I'm very thankful that you brought it up. It's like valuetainment. I'm trying to crack the code and I'm working through some stuff right now on how to make it more entertaining. Correct. Like Alec, Alex Hormozzi, I think does a really good job at this. Now people are watching Alex cause they want money, right? Which is a, uh, that always serious motivator. Yes. Right. But there's some things that Alex does that are really good. Then there's like the Andrew Huberman's of the world, which like, to me, it's, I like Andrew. 
It's a lot of protocols. Some of it's a little like extreme, but where is he pulling a lot of people in from Silicon Valley entrepreneurs, biohackers, people that are just all in on this, right? Yeah. You and I are kind of dealing and working with people kind of in the middle zone where exercise is important, but it's not everything. Lifestyle is important, but it's not everything. And I think that it's a harder road to travel, but I think it may have higher impact because if you can capture somebody and help them and serve them. So maybe you and I can <laughs> bounce some I, ideas I back in the DMs on <clears throat> There's how that, to reach uh... them. If you haven't heard, AIM7 is now live in the App Store after two years of rigorous beta testing and outstanding results with our nearly 500 beta members. AIM7 uses your wearable data to turn stress into strength. It tackles burnout head on and helps you level up your health and wellness journey. AIM7's proprietary algorithms tailor fitness for you with precision exercise, sleep, and mental fitness recommendations leveraging your wearable and HRV data. And because you're a Blueprint listener, for the next five days, you can try AIM7 for just $1 for your first month. This is an exclusive offer for our community. Listen, you've got to experience our unique morning routine that pairs circadian anchoring with a guided mindfulness session to help you reclaim your morning and start the day with calm focus. Again, this is only available until this Friday, and it's just for our Blueprint community. There's that guy, Patrick Bet David. I think his channel is called Valuetainment. He's got a massive following. He just brought on his show. He does like an in-person podcast, a uh, presidential candidate. I think by bringing him on, the guy went from like- What was his name? Patrick Bet David. He used to be in California. I believe he's somewhere in Florida, but a real intelligent guy. And I think his channel and show is called uh, Value. Something like that. Valuetainment, something like that. He's a very sharp guy. I'll have oh, I to found see. it. Is it Valuetainment? Yeah, Valuetainment. That's it. There you go. He's a very oh, sharp Oh, I know this guy. guy. Yeah, he's super sharp. Yes, and I, I, I really like him. But yeah, I think, of course, our, I hate saying the word followers, the people who are following us to learn from us might be a little sharper. Like I've seen... Dr. Peter Atia and Andrew Huberman talk about mm-hmm. the most basic things. They'll demonstrate a strength training exercise that for you and I, we would just, that's maybe not our crowd. Like here's how to do a dumbbell bench press and keep your shoulders down. Right. They'll do that. And it just gets a lot. So, you know, in the business world, um, it's obviously super important to know what they want, but it's interesting this game now, because you cannot, show something that maybe promotes your product. Like right now I'm promoting my certification. As soon as you promote something, bang, you're, you're getting shut down. And so you need to learn these quote unquote tricks. Oh, put it in your story. Have somebody ask you a question, right? It's like, Mm. it's a little bit. Well, tell me about your certification. I'm interested. Yeah. So it is interesting because I created my first certification in 2008 And so my first business coach, I told him that when I opened the underground strength gym, I was getting phone calls and voice messages and emails from coaches around the world because I was sharing videos. So I was like um, one of the first people in the fitness industry to post videos on YouTube. 
But yes, I you were. That's how I day. found you. Right. I called it the underground strength show. And yeah. so they're like, I want to do that. I want to do what you're doing. I'm an accountant. I work in the hotel industry. I want to come do what you do. So when I created that certification, it was a system of here's how we bring in a new athlete. Here's how we assess them and do a trial. Here's the introductory workouts. And then everything was hands-on. I mean, it was actually brutal through the years when when I've done certifications, I don't think any new coach, it's like, they don't want to do that kind of work. It's interesting. They want to kind of like sit and watch. Hmm. Well, I learned that, okay, if I'm standing in front of a crowded room and I said, I'm an underground strength coach, nobody knows what that means anymore, right? They'd be like, hmm. underground, what is that? Early <laughs> days, it was like underground, meaning methods that are not the norm. And then- hmm. On Biggest Loser, I see, you know, a grandma flipping a tire. And I remember saying to myself, now it is mainstream, the sandbags, the kettlebells. Now it's mainstream. It's no longer, quote unquote, underground. And so uh, a couple of years ago, I created a new certification, a next level, which is the strength and sports performance coach, because I've always said, I'm not strength and conditioning. And, you know, could be, mm -hmm. you've worked with athletes for close to 20 years in that setting. And now you're still working with them, but it's not just strength and conditioning. It's not just those two things. So I like to describe what we do as sports performance, mm -hmm. but here's what's changed with this. I realized that through listening that parents and athletes in general, strength is almost like, I don't want, it's sometimes demonized and other times they don't view it as important. They want speed and movement. Mm -hmm. And the verbiage that they use is a lot of the buzzwords like, hey, my son plays baseball. He needs core strength and arm care. And of course, you know, anybody in the know, you probably know that that means this kid cannot do a push up, but they <laughs> want to do, right? They want to do just something for the rotator cuff. So what I've blended with this certification is, more of the movement because kids are not moving. So now we need our warm up and our athletic development portion is more important than ever before because the kids I train don't come in with that. Like the football players I trained, they played pickup basketball throughout the whole spring. That was their speed and agility. The wrestlers I used to train often played soccer or football. So they had a lot more movement abilities and capabilities. So this SSPC cert is all about athleticism. And then there's business segments, because as we said earlier, you can get a job somewhere. I've worked in college. I worked at uh, Rutgers and Lehigh. The schedule was not great. The pay was horrific. That's also what's like so frustrating. So being an entrepreneur, I think it's like a, a better stress than the stress of not knowing, am I going to be back here next year? Who's telling me what to do when deep in my heart, I know that's not the right thing to do for the kids. When you're an entrepreneur, I like that we can make changes on the fly versus working in a school. For example, I work in a public school, which that's a whole nother topic. But when I want to make a change, it has to be approved by too many people. I don't think it's for the best interest oftentimes of the kids, you know, the things, the things that they do. So I don't mean to like 
we could veer on this so much, Eric, but uh, I have kids in high school. I think a lot about that old saying of our generation, men in their 40s are now more fit than kids in their teenage years. That was never the case. Kids could blow us out of the water. Now, to ask an athlete to just run a quarter mile could be an extreme struggle, right? You can have a a kid that can't do it. So that's a concern for me with that population growing up. Kids don't have movement literacy anymore. I think that, you know, if we broke it down, you have no movement literacy. And I also think there's a, ironically, there's like a negative connotation to physical activity. They look at it as bad. Doctors give kids excuses to avoid physical education. It's going backwards. But I want to dig into your technology, your software. Mm -hmm. You were on my buddy, John Wellborn's uh, podcast, Power Athlete. I'm drinking out there. I remember that conversation. And then ironically, John posted last night that he's sleeping on a, um, it may have been the chili pad or the chill yeah. pad, and it gives him feedback with his sleep. And this last night, I had a horrible night of sleep. Mm. My dog sleeps in my bed. And I was like, man, I wouldn't even want to know what that thing would read for <laughs> me. So talk to us about like the pros and cons of adults, because a lot of adults are digging into the software. And I want to hear like, where's your software going and your software, we're going to make our generation possibly outlive this younger generation. That's scary. It is scary. Hopefully we can reverse that trend, but yeah, aim seven is an app and here's the gap that we're closing. When I started doing athlete tracking, well, 2011, started doing that at Florida State. Nobody ever tracked an athlete in game, ever. Were you with football only or Olympic sports? Or? I was with football with Coach Fisher. I went to Australia. He made me director of – he made me the football ops guy, going from speed coach to football ops. But basically, he wanted my organizational capabilities because I was doing a lot of other things in the organization. And so I said, I'll do it if you name me director of sports science. And he's like, yeah, you, that, that job didn't exist. That and he was, was like, you can call yourself whatever you want. Yeah, it was totally new. So That's great. <laughs> I went to Australia and spent a month with an Aussie rules football team. And I brought back athlete tracking units. We had the first catapult units ever in the U.S. And at the time, catapult connects to GPS satellites and had all this amazing capabilities. But it was just millions of data points, terrible interface. So I had to hire a former NASA propulsion engineer to help me organize it. This is like... Nobody was using this yet. So the problem that it causes, we got a lot of data, no idea how to use it, and it caused a lot of friction. And that's kind of when I've learned this really important lesson that data without actionable insight is completely useless. And so what we did was, is coach let me track the 2011 season in games and in practice. We quantified the game of football for the first time. What is actually happening on the field? Then we can go, does our practices match up? Do the way that we train match up? And we found a couple of things. One, our players were exhausted on game day. We were playing, we were practicing so much that these ridiculously talented players were just dead. And we were losing games. And we had great coaches and super talented players. Every single player on the roster when I left, offense got drafted. Crazy. 
And then number two, like, you know, an alignment may sprint 50 yards in an entire game. Correct. And a receiver playing core four special teams could sprint 8,000 yards. I just had this conversation with yeah. the kids today. I said, you bigger guys, you still need a level of fitness so you're durable. But yeah. I, I said the – so. 50 to 100 yards for alignment, and then I know the skill guys might do a thousand, but did you say 10? What did you they, say? they could cover up to 7,000 yards and sprint up to a thousand, you know, anywhere between if they played core four special teams and like a receiver. Now, if they were just a receiver, it could be 300. That's it. So we changed the way that we structured training, the way that we practice. The next year, we had an 88% reduction in injury. What was the main change, Eric? Like one or oh, two it was, changes. So first of all, we applied some periodization to training camp. Instead of just zapping them at the very beginning, we slowly built up. Coach Fisher's credit, man. Like I had a headset on during practice and there were certain players that we were monitoring. It was like, all right, we feel like this guy's worn out. Let's put a pitch count on him. After so many reps, we're pulling him. Or we're going to awesome. take him down during certain periods. And then we literally changed the entire offseason to match the demands of each position. And then we coordinated between sports, med, and strength conditioning on some early warning indicators that it, issues were popping up. Were you guys using like uh, force plates for those issues or what were you? Man, this is old school. We had a hand dynamometer. So, you know, like the groin squeeze test. I was doing it the way they were doing it in Australia. We've had this look like a like wax on wax off but it had a dynamic on it and they would squeeze between their knees and we had a baseline measurement if it was 20 percent off the trainer's like up oh, they're at a risk for a groin injury let's start doing some soft tissue work guys you got to come in before and after practice that's amazing 88 percent reduction in injury our talented team won a championship won an orange bowl the nfl flies in they're like what is going on here it opened a multi-billion dollar market for sports wearables and data here in the U.S. Like it was I've never an explosion. Heard of the uh, dynam, dynam uh, blah, the grip thing yeah. used for the groin. Oh yeah, and um, I learned all this stuff over in Australia. So what we're doing with consumers is, so what if you slept seven hours or walked six thousand steps or did X, Y, and Z? Like it's just data. It's completely useless. So what we do is we make. It, we turn it into actionable recommendations and we get rid of that friction that you were talking about, about, well, this thing says I suck. Like we never tell somebody they can't do something. That's like, that's like lesson 101 in athletics, right? You do that, you lose them. So what we do is like, okay, these are the things that you like to do. Here's what your body's most ready for, to adapt to. So let's say you love to get on the elliptical, go this long and then this heart rate today. Or are you going to lift today? Well, adjust your volume a little bit like this. Or, hey, we see that you're stressed right now. Here's a specific breathwork tool that you can use right now to calm down and improve performance. We do that across exercise, sleep, and then mental fitness. For like sleep, we teach, we like we identify what part of your sleep you can improve and then give you like a simple tool, like one simple thing to focus on. What's a and simple what, tool to improve sleep, especially Eric, as like uh, things like sleep apnea have uh, mm -hmm. increased. And there's a lot of videos talking about taping the mouth, but there's no real like. <laughs> Man, just, all that stuff's overkill to start with. Like the average person is okay. never going to do that. So what are the, the things that you advise to improve sleep? 
It's yeah, crazy so the, how sleep has become this, you know, billion, multi-billion dollar industry now. So if you well, don't sleep good, it takes me now days to catch up. You know, I mentioned the baseball tournament. I got home very late Sunday night. I didn't realize it was three games in a day. Oh my god! The time I got to bed was 2 a.m. But then ironically, I woke up early. I think I woke up at 6.30. So I slept four and a half hours. I actually felt great. But then when I went to train, everything felt heavy. I was winded. And I was like, oh, I quote unquote feel great. But my body responded like everything was 20 times harder. So I was like, oh, this would have been perfect timing to have some sort of like app connected to me to say, okay, lighten everything up 35%. That's exactly what AIM7 <clears throat> does. It's not going to tell you not to go lift. It's just going to be like, look, man, you didn't sleep well. Your HRV is a little bit low. That's okay. That's okay. It's normal life, right? Just tweak it. But like sleep, I'll just make it really simple. Forget sleep stages. Forget all that. It's completely bogus as far as what you're getting off your device. And that's another conversation for another day. But those things are wildly inaccurate. The only three things you should pay attention to are duration, when you go to bed, and the consistency at which that happens. For instance, there was a paper that was done by MIT and Harvard at the Broad Institute in the University of Colorado. And they showed that if, let's say you typically go to bed at 1 a.m., if you shift your onset back one hour, now you're going to bed at midnight, you had a 23% reduction in major depression. Your risk of that would be massive at the high school level, Eric, because I'm not a, I haven't done the statistical research, but I know this from just being boots on the ground is depression. You could see it in their demeanor. You could Mm. hear it. You could see it in their face. Uh, Suicide. You hear about it every year, multiple times a year. Mm. When I was a kid, I heard about suicide once throughout all of middle school and high school once now it's multiple times a year the town i live in eric was known as a suicide cluster kids were jumping in front of trains it mm. happened i think around like 06 08 time you you could look it up manasquan and let me tell you something this town is like a i ran into a policeman who lived who was lived where i used to live he's like oh this is god's country we're a mile from the beach it's just a lo- it's a low stress place in my opinion. So it's there's a there's something going on, and what you're saying is huge. Like um, when you said going to sleep at one a.m., all I thought to myself is that's every high school kid one a.m. waking up at six five hours. Yeah, they're not getting enough sleep. It's no doubt wrecking their their mental health. Like if you want to unhinge somebody, deprive them of sleep. That's why if you go to Sears school. Mm-hmm. Uh, where they teach you to uh, survive being captured in the military when being tortured. You know what they do? They deprive you of sleep in the army when you go through the schoolhouse. School. Yeah. yeah, ranger school. What do they do? They deprive you of sleep during hell week. What do they do? Deprive they you deprive of you of sleep because they yeah. want to see if you can, <clears throat> if you're mentally resilient enough. Because people hallucinate, they go completely nuts. Say, you ha- you hallucinate when you lack sleep and you're doing it willingly what did you say the percent was again eric we got to make sure one hour shift backwards was 23 percent reduction two hours was a 40 percent reduction and i want to like bring this back to a simple behavior that you can implement well why is that 
the first thing we learned about in my doctor program on sleep is there's two things that drive sleep. One is something called a homeostatic drive. It essentially means this. You wake up, you feel rested. As the day goes on, you're more tired, right? There's this biochemical buildup of something called adenosine. The second part is something called a circadian process. And your circadian clock is anchored by a lot of things, but the primary anchor is sunlight. Viewing sunlight sends a signal to your circadian pacemaker, sits above the roof of your mouth, and it signals to all the cells in your body that it's time to be awake. And then it kind of sets off a trigger of like melatonin production. People that go to bed earlier and wake up earlier get more sunlight exposure. That's it. Far- farmers, the Amish. I think when you mentioned the whole depression thing, I'll listen to uh, Ty Lopez and he- and yeah. I, I also heard somebody speak about like, you know, Amish not getting vaccinated and they're extremely healthy, but they're up early. They work outside. The kids are outside. I'm in my basement. That's where my office is. I could go two hours max before I'm outside. So like if I'm not feeling good, I take my bike. I go, I ride to the beach. It's like a pretty short. Zach, you ride. and I are the perfect yin and yang for each other. Like I'll give you the data and then you're like, Eric. I just get on my bike. <laughs> yes. Eric, where do you live? Are you Northeast? Where do you live? Oh, no, no. I live in Houston. Te- so You're still in Texas. Okay. Well, I lived all over the country. My last job was in Virginia. And then when I started AIM-7, we're like, we. I'm from Dallas originally. I'm an Aggie. But we loved Houston. We had a great community. And I was like, Is, you know, if I'm going to do something really hard, let's go back to where we had a strong community. And I live in a suburb outside of Houston. Did you work with Brian Cushing when you were at the Texans? Oh, Cush is my man. Yeah. Love that guy. Yes, me too. He's a Jersey guy and, you know, he worked with Joe DeFranco. So I met him when he was going into the, I I remember him training in the summer before going uh, into the NFL. We would bring our high school guys up to compete against Joe's guys. And it's interesting. I even look back, like I was just thinking, you mentioned the teenagers, like, the kids I trained back in the day, they had like better skin. Just there was a lot of things I pick up on. I don't know if that's a innate thing or because of the health education looking at trends, but it it uh it concerns me. I don't know why I've always been so connected to like our youth, and I'm also now being in my mid 40s or actually I guess late 40s. It breaks my heart to see men in their 40s so unfit. And a lot of the men here by the beach is like, it's like dad bod central. And then I was in North (laughs) Jersey a month ago and every dad that was like bringing his kid into the gym, I went up there to do a certification for a coach. Those dads were fit. So the environment of like North Jersey being more of like a hardcore get after it, whereas living by the beach, we're relaxed. It's just weird that I see so many, so few men down here into strength training. So the environment is certainly so shape it it shapes people. It's interesting. And I would just say this kind of as we wrap up here is like, I don't know about you, but my audience is a lot of parents. Yes. A lot of busy people. Yes. I'm sure it's very similar to you people that are interested in getting better. Parents and busy people, no doubt. Which you just said is really critical. Your environment shapes it. And so like you and I getting on here and doing this together, like it makes now I'm like thinking about my kids, right? We've created an environment here where I want to get better now. I think that the folks that are listening to this should like do a little introspection and think about what type of environment you're creating for yourself and your families. 
because it's, you know, control the controllables, right? If when a parent asks me, how do I get my kid to exercise? I tell them, if you do it, your kids just see it as normal activity. My kids grew up seeing me climbing a rope in the garage, sprinting down the street, you know, jumping up and down the stairs. So they thought, oh, this is what people do. And so our family is very much into healthy eating, fitness. Mm. Today, later, I'm going to go to uh, Pennsylvania, pick up uh, 40 pounds of beef from a Mennonite farmer. So I'm trying to pay attention to even how food impacts the mental Mm. aspect. We have to dig deeper. We have to do a part two on this for sure. hundred percent. It's what's cool, I guess, like the gist of our conversation is like, you're not going to be perfect, but you can always make steps towards getting better. You know, knowing what you know, Eric, what time do you go to bed and wake up in the morning? Usually I'm winding it down in the nine o'clock hour. And then I like to be in bed and asleep before I'm in bed before nine nine forty five, oh, and then God. I'm up around six or five forty five. So I'm typically getting in between seven hours. Like if you true like true sleep, I'm out seven fifteen to eight. I know that when I start dipping below seven, I'm a wreck, and so I just I don't watch TV. I just cut all that stuff out. I get enough screens during the day. <laughs> I don't right. want to yeah. look at screens anymore. Do enough social media. What about you? I'm a little bit later in mm. going to bed and a little bit earlier. So uh, I'm usually in bed at 10. That's the goal. Lights out uh-huh. by 1030 or earlier. I have no trouble falling asleep. Quite exhausted. Except last night, my dog was, we have two little dogs and they're, yeah, I always it's say a sleep in, ruiner. Yeah. I'm like in this, it's interesting. Nobody else could wake up for these dogs, but me, you know? <laughs> and so I wake up at 5 a.m. on the days that I got to get to the high school for seven. Cause I leave my house at 6 20. I'm not into wake up and like rush. I don't like to do that. And I've got a couple days this month where the first training session is at 6 15. I like to leave I'm a 25-minute ride from my school, but traffic could, you never know. So I like to get 35 minutes. I like to be 10, 15 minutes ahead. So I'll probably wake up at 4.45 on those days and hit the road at 5.30. So on those days, I got, yeah. Do I like to do that? Absolutely not. First of all, I don't feel great doing that. But going back to the mindset thing, like, certain things just have to be done. And I don't, if I have to be there at 615, I'm not going to wake up and just throw on clothes and walk out the door. I'm still going to wake up, have two glasses of water, brush my teeth, get dressed. And then I, and then I could go, I don't like to be like running around. No, you got to set the tone too. When you show up. Yes. And so the days that I go like today, showing up at 7am, I wake up at five, I kind of have to, I make the breakfast for the dogs. I make myself a cup of tea in the morning. I do a little work and then I go. So uh, I have some kind of non-negotiables. Like I got to get an email out to my newsletter in the morning. So certain things have to get done. So I'm definitely operating at a deficit. And if I had my way, it would be like 10 p.m. sleep, 6 a.m. waking up. Last question I got for you, Eric. What about nutrition for the busy parents is there a certain time that eating 
will negatively impact sleep. I know like oh, if yeah. I eat carbs at night, I've got to go to the bathroom. I got to pee in the middle of the night. So any tips on that that you picked up? I'd on? cut food out three hours before bed. That's a tough thing because if I want to go to bed at 10, I'm not home by seven on the days I run my gym. So I might not get home. I leave by 7.30, then by I settle in, I might have an 8, 8.30 dinner. Then I make it a very light meal because here's what happens. Like what, what would be a light meal? Well, it depends on what that is for you. Some people mm-hmm. like like some type of fish or protein and vegetables is great. Yeah. I wouldn't try to go with something like a heavy pasta with, with a cream sauce because now your body has to digest that and it's going to be digesting it during sleep. And so it's a stressor on the system. And if you actually record people's HRV at night after eating heavy meals, it's lower, which is not good. So you actually want a cessation. You want a period of time before you go to bed where you don't eat. You can drink a little bit of water, whatever, and let your body just chill. Calm down. Like, don't be digesting during sleep. Like, if I, if I ever go out and have, like, a really great meal and it's late at night and I go to bed, terrible sleep sometimes i go on the road and it's just even though i slept more it's worse and i come back and i'm exhausted so i can't wait to get back to my own bed now i'm inspired because you know we mentioned the amish i get excited to go to the farm today because i always talk to uh, the farmer about like what'd you have for breakfast what time do you go to bed you know he's probably like i got work we should bring him on the show we totally should i think his before you know he worked on the farm i believe he was in it He's very lean and muscular. He told me his favorite breakfast is um, some ground beef on a uh, frying pan with uh, grass-fed butter and then an egg over it. So uh, I love getting the food from there. It's such quality. And, you know, I know I keep saying last question, but here's the other thing I noticed about the teenagers. I say this often, and it's important that it gets out there. Boys have bellies and boobs, right? And it's like, What's the food we're eating? The lack of sleep, the lack of muscle. And I want to tell the parents out there, we are the first line of defense. We cannot, you know, John Wellborn always says, nobody's raising my kids but me. I'm not expecting the schools to save my kids or teach them things. You mentioned having conversations with your kids that are age appropriate. What was appropriate in your era and my era, we now have to say things earlier to our kids, because if they're not exposed to it from their own phone, usually the sibling of one of their friends will expose them to it. Supposedly, that's how like a lot of kids get exposed to like nude photos and pornography. They say it's like an older sibling of their friends. So if you got a 10 year old hanging out with another 10 year old, their 13 or 15 year old, you know, brother or sister might be showing them those things. So parenting is harder than ever before. It's heartbreaking to say that, but we need to do a better job with nutrition and leading them. And that's why we go to bed early. And you know what? My son doesn't like his friends could stay out till 11, 1130. No way, bro. 10 p.m. You're here, not on your bike at 10 p.m. You're in this house by 10 p.m. And so when parents are like, I don't know if it's too much that he's playing football and this and that, I'm like, well, now he's busy doing good stuff. Otherwise, you'll have a lot of energy and time to get busy doing the wrong stuff. So I'm okay with busy, quality busy for the kids. But uh, we got to do it again, my bro. 
This is Sa- great. Uh, Zach, this was some sage wisdom, like really, really sage wisdom. I- I've been taking a lot of notes, if you've been noticing. Yes. I really appreciate the opportunity to, to do this with you, and I look forward to doing it again. No doubt. We got to do a, a part two. So before we close out, I'll add a closeout. You want to give your uh, website or best way for people, for the listeners, yeah. and I'll, I'll link it up, of course, in the show notes. Done like a true pro. Yeah, so you can find me at Eric Corum, E-R-I-K-K-O-R-E-M, at the Blueprint Podcast. And then if you want to check out AIM7, our app, it's aim 7 And by the time people listen to this, it will be live in the app store. Beautiful. You're the best. Thank you, brother. Take care, my man. Before you leave today, would you please do me a favor? If the blueprint has positively impacted your life, would you please leave us a comment and review on whichever listening platform you are joining us from, as this will help us reach more people with the important message of the blueprint. Thanks again for listening, and I'll catch you on the next episode.